Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you here today. I want to point out something to you. Underneath your seats, if you didn't notice it already, there's a bunch of baby bottles. Now, let me tell you why those baby bottles are there. The video you just watched is from an organization called Loving Choices, which we've been a partner with for a number of years. They are a pregnancy center that helps women through, um, you know, these choices of, of what to do when you have a pregnancy. And I'm unashamedly tell you, we are a pro-life church, and we have been for many years. We always will be. And we are also a very pro-grace church, knowing a lot of women have walked down this road, and we want to help walk through that with you. And so we offer ministries like Rise Up and others that will, will help you uh, recover from some of these choices that that to stay with you for many years. So we are pro-life, we are pro-grace, we are pro what God is doing in your life and your future. So these baby bottles is something we do about this time every year where we ask you, if you feel so led, take a bottle home with you. And uh, over the next month, put your, your nickels, dimes, quarters, $100 bills, whatever you got, $1,000 checks, whatever. And, uh, and then in about a month from now, we're gonna ask you to bring those back and drop those off. And then we give all those donated funds straight to Loving Choice. And I think last year we raised four or $5,000 for Loving Choices. A lot of churches do this. So that's what these baby bottles are for. This is what this video is about today. Very timely if you wanna know my opinion. So if you feel so led, you go ahead and participate with that. Well, we are in a series right now called Botched. And we have been wrestling down this question for about a month now. And the question is this, is failure fatal? And so far we have looked at four individuals who have botched pretty big in their lives, but their stories, <clears throat> their stories show us very clearly that failure is indeed, does not have to be fatal at all. Their stories show us that God is the God of redemption and our God loves a great comeback story. So today we are finishing this series. This is the last uh, sermon in this series. And we are finishing it with one of the most well-known individuals in the entire New Testament. He was, in fact, a very close friend of Jesus. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And he is the, one of the first disciples to realize who Jesus actually was when he responded to Jesus' question of, who do people say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. The Son of living God. It's, this is the guy we're talking about today. He was there at the feeding of the 5,000 and he saw all of Jesus' miracles. He uh, was the one disciple that actually got to walk on the water with Jesus. He heard everything that he taught and Jesus one time called this disciple the rock upon which I will build my church. Now if those weren't enough clues for you, I am talking about Peter, Peter in the New Testament. Sometimes he goes by Simon, sometimes it's Peter, and sometimes it's together. It's Simon Peter. So if we say Simon or we say Peter, we're talking about the same guy today. And when you take everything that is available to us in the New Testament about Peter, there are some words that get associated to his life. Words like boldness. He was definitely a bold disciple. Words like passion, impulsive, gung-ho. Now, now, that's not to say the other disciples weren't that as well. We just don't have as much information about them. But Peter was all of those. When I say gung-ho and when I say he was impulsive, this is the disciple that one day drew his sword and took a swing at a soldier's head, but he's not very good with the sword, and he misses the head, and he chops off the guy's ear. This is the disciple that I'm talking about. This is Peter. So he's all those things. He's bold, he's passionate, he's gung-ho, he's impulsive but he is also the owner of one of the most notorious botches that you're gonna read about in all of the Bible. And his botch is this. Three times in a row, he denied that he ever knew Jesus. 
three times in a row. He said, I don't know that man. And what a botch. Now, I'm not a guy that's real big on grading sin. You know, this sin is worse than this sin. You know, we, we like to categorize our sin. Oh, that's really bad, or this wasn't. We even do that with lying. That's a lie, or is that a little white lie? Is that a fib? We categorize sin. I'm not a real big person to, to categorize sin because at the end of the day, we are all sinners. We are all in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ died for all these sins. But if I was gonna categorize Peterson, I would say, yeah, this is kind of a doozy, all right? This is a big one, all right? It's a big one. To deny Jesus three times. But just like with everybody else we've studied about so far in the series, not even that turned out to be fatal. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 18. That's where we're gonna be spending our time today. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles that are in the seat pockets around you. Feel free to open up um, the Bible to John chapter 18. It's the fourth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those first four books of the New Testament are referred to as the Gospels. And they tell the story of Jesus. Now, full disclosure, I could have you turn to any Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and we can study what happened out of any of their gospels because every single one of the gospel writers, they record this botch of Peter's. And how do you like that? All four gospel writers thought it was a big enough deal that we want to tell the world. A little side note here. I, was, uh, I found myself during this series feeling a little bit bad for David and Elijah and John Mark and Paul and Peter. And I was like, where does this, why, why do I feel kind of bad for these guys? And I think it finally dawned on me here this past week. I've been kind of feeling bad for these guys because all of their stories, their biggest mess ups, their, their worst moment of their life has been recorded in scripture and is preserved for all time. Generation after generation gets to relive their worst moments. And I got to thinking about that. Lord, thank you that my worst moments are not recorded in an everlasting document that will never fade away for all time, for all generations. And aren't you glad that your biggest botches in life are not recorded for all the world to see forever? And I kind of got the feeling bad. And then I, then I remembered, oh yeah, they were all dead and with the Lord before the Bible was written. So I guess they're okay. But anyway, I say that we could have turned to any of the four gospels. They all record this moment. Collectively, when you put them together, they give us a really good picture of what transpired. It all happened on the night that Jesus was betrayed. This is the night that we learn about the Lord's Supper and his last evening, and this is, this is a, a very emotional night, and a lot is happening uh, before Jesus gets arrested. Jesus had had the Passover meal, which sets the model for us for the Lord's Supper. He's had that meal. And it was during that meal, he calls out Judas, one of his disciples, as his betrayer. That's right, Judas, who will go on, and for 30 pieces of silver, later this night, he will go in and identify Jesus of Nazareth. He will betray him with a kiss, and he'll say, this is the guy, and, and it's that Judas. So we have this meal, this Passover meal. It's the night of Jesus' arrest. He calls out Judas as his Betrayer, And if that wasn't enough, Jesus drops a bombshell on his disciples. He says, guys, I'm going to be leaving you, and where I'm going, you cannot follow me. Now just think about all that's being said here. They're coming to this conclusion. Is this really the last night? Judas is going to do what? Jesus is going where we can't follow? Now, I want to help build the context for you. You stay in John and just look at the screen behind me. We're going to look at other Gospels. But I'm going to turn quickly to Matthew 26, verse 31. So he's telling this. Jesus says, this very night, 
All of you will fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter, remember the impulsive one, the bold one, he says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. This could not have been an easy conversation. We have the recorded words of Jesus. We have the text, but we weren't in the room. And you don't feel the emotion of the room. And, and sometimes it's hard to understand how all these words came out. This was a fairly emotional moment. And Jesus, even in other places, will try to comfort his disciples in this moment because it was very distressing to them. But then Peter steps up. He's like, uh-uh, no way. No, no way is this gonna go down like this. And, and Peter says, even if all these other guys walk away from you, I will not. And I think all the other disciples, yeah, that's right. Now, wait a minute, what'd you say, Peter? Are you saying you're better than us? I think that's exactly what Peter is saying. Jesus all these chumps, they may run away from you, but not me. I will, I will go to my death for you. Peter has no idea when he's saying these words that he's actually setting himself up for a very big fall. Luke's gospel records another aspect of this conversation. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus says this, Simon, Simon, remember Simon and Peter, the same guy. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift, you, sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny three times that you know me. Now, Peter doesn't know this right now, but he is in the middle of a spiritual fight with forces of evil that he fully does not understand at this moment. So Jesus says, Simon, Simon. This is not uncommon for the Lord to refer to people twice by their first name. I relate it kind of like this. When, when, when the Lord says your name twice, he really wants to get your attention. It's like saying, listen up. It's kind of like when your mom and dad look at you and they call you by all three of your names. <laughs> you know that if... Out of your parents' mouth comes your first, middle, and last names, and mixed in with eyebrows pointed down, you're in trouble, all right? It's like, listen up. This is Jesus saying, Simon, pay really close attention. Satan, he wants you. He wants you. And he said, he wants to sift all of you like wheat. Do you understand what he means do you understand the analogy or the illustration? Peter would have understood it because it's a very agricultural world. Wheat's a big deal in that culture. How Peter would have understood this, this is the imagery that Jesus is trying to convey. When somebody is sifting wheat, then, then in, the, in the Bible times, they would bring all this wheat and this grain, all this into what's called a threshing floor. And somebody would take a big pitchfork tool and they would scoop it up and they would throw it up in the air. And the process of tossing this up in the air and the wind would blow the chaff away and the grain would fall back down to the ground. And they would do this over and over again until all the chaff, all the worthless stuff gets blown away and what's left is the grain. That's how they separated the chaff. 
This right here is the exact image that Jesus is trying to convey. He's like, Satan wants to do this to you. He wants to sift you, and he wants to sift the rest of the disciples, perhaps to separate the disciples from Jesus, but most certainly, he has plans to shake up their faith with, about, with, with what's about to happen. So Jesus like, don't you understand that Satan is asked to sift all of you, to mess with you, to separate us, to, to shake you up. Now, Peter doesn't understand all this of what the enemy's doing, but Jesus is bringing him into this reality. But then what does Jesus say next? This is what Satan wants to do. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And then when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And even with that incredible illustration, even Peter still, he, he rejects it. He balks at it. And he's like, Lord, prison, death, I don't care what it is. I am all in. Don't you worry about me. This ain't gonna happen to me. And then that's when Jesus drops the bomb. Peter, Peter, this, this very night, before the rooster crows, you're gonna do this very thing. You're gonna deny that you ever knew me. Well, if you keep reading the Gospels, you're going to understand the timeline and the details of what happens next. It's a very emotionally packed, very emotionally charged evening. But Jesus and his disciples eventually make it to the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is where Jesus prays and he says, would you all watch, keep watch for me with for a little while? And this is where the disciples fell asleep. And this is where Jesus sweated great drops of blood. And, and, and it's in that moment, the soldiers with Judas, they show up to arrest Jesus, and this is where Judas walks up to Jesus and he kisses him, and he's like, this is the man. And this is the moment where I referred to earlier, Peter's like, uh-uh, I'm not gonna have this. And he draws his sword and he whacks off Malchus's ear. This is that moment. And then Jesus picks up the ear and he puts it back on Malchus's head and heals him. Now, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna tell you what I would have done, I think. If I was a soldier, and I just saw my buddy's ear laying on the floor, and I saw Jesus pick it up and heal him, I'd have been like, I'm out. I don't know what you guys are doing here, but I'm leaving. See you later. I would not have had anything to do with arresting Jesus that night, but they arrest him. And as you read the Gospels, um, they take him to the high priest, and you kind of get this picture that Peter, uh, all the other disciples, including Peter, they ran away. But then you have Peter who kind of is kind of tracking with him. And, I, and I, the Bible doesn't say it like this, but I get this impression that Peter is kind of ducking in between buildings, in and out of shadows, staying close, far, close enough but far enough away not to be noticed. And he eventually follows them all the way to what the Bible says, the courtyard of the high priest. So Jesus is inside and Peter makes his way to the courtyard so that he can kind of be close to what's happening and maybe understand the details and hear the dialogue and all of that. So as Peter is coming through the gate into the courtyard of the high priest, there is a servant girl there, and she's awfully suspicious of what is happening to, with Peter. She's like, wait a minute. Aren't you one of his disciples? Now look at, go back to John, verse 18. Now we're back to John, chapter 18, verse 17. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold. And the servant and the official stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. And Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Peter has no idea at this moment. But he is actually fulfilling the words of Jesus. He's not connecting the dot yet. 
But this was the first denial. And, and, and he doesn't even realize it. Now, the Bible doesn't say this specifically, but, um, but uh, I, I think, this is just my opinion, I think when the girl challenged him, aren't you one of his disciples? I think Peter, his attitude was more like this. This is my opinion. I think it was more like this. One of his disciples? Would I be here in the courtyard of the high priest if I was one of Jesus' disciples? Come on, get out of here. And I think he walked on in. Now, I think that's how Peter was. It was certainly a denial, but that's how I would be. If I was trying to be somewhere I wasn't supposed to be, incognito, I'd be like, you think I'd be here? I'd... I think that's Peter. Now, there's plenty of commotion going on inside the building. Remember, Peter's in the courtyard. He's outside. Jesus is inside. What we do know from the gospel is Jesus on the inside is dealing with lots of accusations. He is being punched in the face. He is being mistreated. He's being pulled through this really sham trial that he's going through. He's being abused inside. And I get this image, this picture anyway, that uh, there's doors open, there's windows open, there's coming and going, and Peter's on the outside. He can see some of this going on on the inside, and, and Jesus can see some of what's going on out in the courtyard. And so Peter is there. He got question coming into it. Now he's warming himself by the fire. And his little cloak and dagger gig that he's got going on, it's, it's, a, it's not gonna last much longer. Because around that fire, the people around that fire are going to ask him as well. And this is what happens. Look at John 18, verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it. I am not. Now this is now the second denial that he knew Jesus. And I believe, I'm very comfortable to say, that he is starting to be a little bit more animated now. Now the reason I say that is because of Matthew's account of this second denial. That's in Matthew 26, verse 72. And on this, and Matthew says it like this, he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. So in other words, this is Peter saying, I swear I don't know him. What's wrong with you people? You know, the first time was a girl, it's like, you're with Jesus now. And the second time, like, I swear to you guys, I'm not who you think I am. Now, as you read all four gospel accounts, um, it could have worked out this way. It kind of indicates that it could have been that same servant girl that met him by the gate was the same one that instigated the second challenge. We don't know that for sure. We know it was a servant, but let's say for that it was. Here's how I think it went down. So he's standing there warming himself by the fire, and I think this girl that met him at the gate, she's kind of standing back, she's leaning against the wall, and she's like, I know he's a liar. I know he lied to me when he walked in here. Hey, come here a second. You see that dude over there? Don't you recognize, that's not, that's not one of our guys. That's, that's one of Jesus' guys. I don't know. I think it is. You know what? I'm just, I'm just gonna go find out. And she walks right into the middle of this fire group, and she goes, that dude's with Jesus. Now, that's how I think it went down. Yeah, maybe it didn't. Maybe the group just thought about it on their own. But I think the same servant was kind of like, uh, I'm not letting this go. So the people around the fire, they're like, well, let's have it. Aren't you one of his disciples? And he's like, no, I swear, with an oath. I, I'm not the guy. And then later this happens. Look at the very next verse, John 18, verse 26. One of the high priest's servants a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Oh, great, a family member shows up. Somebody with a little bit more direct knowledge. And he challenges Peter. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. 
So the, the other gospels let us know this detail, that there's about an hour of time that elapses between Peter's second denial and his third denial. The way John does it, he kind of makes him back to back, boom, boom, boom. But we know there was at least about an hour of things happening with Jesus inside, Peter's out in the courtyard, and about an hour later, somebody challenges him about cutting off their uncle's ear or something like that. How strange conversation is that? And then another gospel um, lets us know that there was another conversation about Peter's accent. Like, no, 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 you're, you're from up north. I can tell by the way that you talk. Kind of like somebody from Arkansas, you know it immediately. I know you're from Arkansas. I think Peter had an accent, a very distinct accent. I'm sorry if that offended anybody. I apologize. I, and like, you're not from around here, are you? And he goes, I don't know the man. In, in Mark chapter 14, verse 71, it says this. On this third denial, he began to call curses down and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. So now it's getting a little bit more animated. I think Peter's backing away from these people and he's like, curse you, curse you, curse you. I'm swearing to you, I don't know the man. But I'll tell you, the biggest gut punch of the whole evening is recorded by Luke. In Luke chapter 22, verse 60, Peter replied to this third accusation, I don't know the man that you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Isn't that the gut punch? Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine? Jesus is on the inside. Peter is on the outside, open enough to see what's happening between the two. And Peter starts to make this big scene out in the courtyard. He's drawing attention to himself. He's denying right and left that he knows Jesus. And right as the words are coming out of his mouth, I don't know the man, he seeks Jesus staring right at him. Mark Moore was a professor of mine at Ozark Christian College when I was a student. And he said this about this very moment we're reading about in Scripture. He says, their eyes lock. He sees Jesus' swollen and bloodied face. By, but by the look in his eyes, Peter knows that none of those blows hurt quite so deeply as what Peter has just done to him. Peter botched big time. And if you ask me, I believe that this is Peter's lowest moment of his life. And what's really tragic about this moment for Peter, for sure, is that he will not get another opportunity to make it right before Jesus dies. You understand, Jesus, that is the night of his arrest. He's gonna go to the cross the very next day. He's gonna die on a Friday, and then Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday, here is Peter this whole time going, I never got a chance to talk to him again. The very last thing that Jesus ever heard me say was, I don't know that guy. Can you imagine how, how painful it was for him? Is it any surprise then, then on that Sunday morning, 
when the tomb burst open and Jesus came out of that tomb alive and he appeared to the women first who went there to prepare his body? Is it any surprise that when they ran back to where the disciples were and they said, we've seen the risen Christ, he is risen, the tomb is empty, is it any surprise that it is Peter who is the first one to bolt out the door and he runs where everything he's got to the tomb? What do you think he wanted to talk to Jesus about? I mean, this is the guy that, I, you know, there's a lot of things on his mind between that Friday and that Sunday, but I just believe in my heart, probably close to the top of that list is, Jesus, you know I didn't mean it. I was, I was caught in a bad moment. I don't know. There was a lot on his mind, but is it surprise us that Peter was the one that ran to the tomb first? We ask this question, is failure Fatal. I am thankful to know, and I think that we should all be thankful to know, that not even Peter's denial of Jesus in the courtyard that night turned out to be fatal for him. In fact, even Jesus knew before when he predicted the whole thing, you're gonna deny me three times, even Jesus knew that something very significant was gonna come from it. What did Jesus say before it happened? He said, Satan wants to sift you Okay, Satan wants to sift you. And then Jesus said, in the very next verse, Luke twenty two thirty two, 32, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew all along that Peter was gonna botch. He knew that because he is God. That's how he knew it. But he also knew this, that it was not going to be a fatal blow to Peter. A devastating blow, yes, but why was it not a fatal blow? It's because at the end of the day, Peter's faith did not ultimately fail. His botch was terrible, but his faith, what he believed about Jesus and who he loved, that ultimately did not fail. Now I'd like for us to do a little compare and contrast for a minute this morning. How was Peter and Judas's actions any different? Now just think about it for a minute. Judas betrayed Jesus by giving him up for 30 pieces of silver. Peter, on the other hand, denied Jesus three times. How are their actions any different? Jesus said, Satan has asked to sift all of you like wheat. That would include Peter, that's Judas, that's the rest of the disciples, James, John, that's all of them. Satan wanted to sift them all. He wanted to shake them all up. He wanted to get them away from Jesus. That was his agenda. Satan wanted them all. So Judas, how did his failure turn out to be so fatal, but not Peter's? Because Judas went on to completely fail on you follow up his story. He, he, he had a fatal fall, fatal fail. How was his fatal permanently and how was Peter's not? I'll tell you why. While their actions are not that dissimilar, their love for Jesus, however, was at opposite ends of the spectrum. Their actions on that day were not that dissimilar, but their love for Jesus at completely opposite ends of the spectrum. And you look at their repentance, 
And the results of their repentance? Complete opposite ends of the spectrum as well. So Peter failed, no doubt about it, but not his faith, not ultimately. You follow his story on into completion and you're gonna see that it is his faith in Jesus that actually led to his repentance. And it was his repentance that led him to have strength. And it's his strength that spreads all throughout the Christian community. And it's his strength and his rebound and his bounce back that is still blessing the Christian community to this day. And that's why Jesus said, when you turn back, you're gonna strengthen your brothers. And that still is happening to this very day. Jesus said, Peter, you're gonna mess up really bad. You're gonna deny me three times, but I pray for you, and I pray that your faith not fail. Friends, isn't that the very thing that we should be praying for, for all of our Christian brothers and sisters, for all the Christian community around the world? Isn't that what we should be praying for our families and our children, that ultimately, at the end of the day, their faith not fail? Isn't that how our prayer should be? Wouldn't that be the greatest tragedy of them all, that at the end of the day, our faith ultimately failed. Do you know how easy it is as a Christian today to complain and gripe about everything that's happened in this world that's not going the way we think it should go? Do you know how easy it is for Christians to develop this extremely negative and critical spirit? We can get so mad and we can express such great negativity at other Christians for liking things that we like or going places that, uh, that we go or seeing matters of opinion differently than how they see it. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to express our disappointment. And I would say, to what end? To what end? Most of the time, it's just you trying to make yourself look better than somebody else, as if your sin doesn't stink as much as theirs. Can I suggest something better than that? Something more in line with the heart of Jesus? You can become belligerent, you can become negative, you can get critical, and you can complain about all the things that you don't like in this world, and in doing so, you will drive people away from Jesus with your negativity and your nastiness. Or you can pray for them that their faith doesn't fail. I don't like what they're doing, but I pray, Lord, their faith not fail. The reality is that we're all gonna botch from time to time, but that does not mean that our faith has to fail right along with that botch. Peter failed, but not his faith, not his love for Jesus, and in that, he is just like us. What did Jesus say, Peter? I have prayed for you that your faith not fail. You know, I know it had to have crushed Peter not to get to talk to Jesus anymore after that moment. But thankfully for Peter, he gets the chance to make it right after the resurrection. Jesus made a number of what we refer to as post-resurrection appearances. And uh, one of those is a very special one. They're all special, but one specifically as it relates to Peter is a very special one. And it's found in John chapter 21. So you can all your Bibles, flip over a couple pages from chapter 18 to chapter 21. And we're gonna end with this. In John 21, Peter and some other disciples, they go fishing. It's what they knew before Jesus, and since they weren't really sure at this moment what they're supposed to do now, that Jesus is, is dead and risen and making these appearances, they, they go back to what they know. They go fishing. 
And on this particular day, they're out, the Bible says about 100 yards from shore, and they'd been fishing for hours. They hadn't caught anything. And somebody on the shore yells at them, hey, got anything? And they're like, nope. And this person goes, throw your, your nets over on the other side. And so they do. Well, why not? Nothing else is working. And they throw it over, and then immediately, this huge catch of fish comes into the net. And they have trouble pulling it up into their boats. And that's when it dawns on Peter. That dude is Jesus. And so Peter jumps into the water, and he says, you guys got this? I'm going. And he starts swimming to shore. And sure enough, it was Jesus. And Jesus has a small fire there, and he's got some baked bread, and he's got some fish ready to eat. And, and it's just the two of them. Now, eventually, the rest of the disciples, they haul this big catch of fish in, and they get it to shore, and, and the Bible tells us, I don't know why it tells us, but there was actually 153 fish in these boats. It's the catch of a lifetime. Why is there 153? I don't know, but it's my justification for why we should count stuff, all right? That's, there it is. We're just gonna count stuff. This is what we do. We're gonna count it. I don't, I don't know why. And then after they all eat together, Jesus and Peter... They have a moment. And it says in John 21, 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. What did Jesus mean when he said, do you love me more than these? Who or what are the more than these? Well, most likely he's talking about the rest of the disciples. Do you love me more than you love your friends? And I think Jesus is reminding Peter, I believe wholeheartedly that he's taking him back to that night, that fateful night when, when Peter denied him. And that night when, when Peter said, even if all these guys run away, I won't do it. I'm sure by now Peter has seen the, the foolishness of such a statement. And Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And Peter goes, you know I love you. I'm like, why are you asking? You know I love you. Look at verse 16. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Why does Jesus ask Peter, the same affirming question three times in a row. Because by the third time, it hurt Peter's feelings. It's simple. Peter denied Jesus three times in a row, and Jesus is giving him the opportunity to publicly affirm him three times in a row. It's that simple. I love little details that you pick up from Scripture. Peter denied Jesus three times in that courtyard around a fire, and here he is now sitting around a fire affirming Jesus three times in a row. Not only that, but they had just witnessed a miraculous catch of 153 fish. And there is no doubt that this miracle is taking Peter and all the other disciples back to the day that Jesus called them. This is in Luke chapter five when they had been fishing all night, had caught nothing, and Jesus said, put your nets out again out in the deep water. And Peter said, well, if you say so, fine. And they caught this huge catch of fish, and that's when Peter fell at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus said, from now on, Peter, you're gonna be a fisher of men. This is like bookends of Jesus' ministry of, with these disciples. 
The same miracle, the same calling to be fishers of men. Peter had failed Jesus miserably that night that Jesus was arrested. But what is clear on that day on the shore of the Sea of Galilee around this fire is that Peter may have failed Jesus, but that doesn't mean that he was no longer valuable in Jesus' eyes or loved. And it certainly didn't mean that Peter had forfeited his rights to the keys of the kingdom. Jesus never said to Peter, hey, buddy, I'm sorry, but you failed me so I can't use you anymore. Do you read that anywhere in this at all? Not at all. Jesus never even uttered those words. No way. He appeared to Peter personally. He affirmed him in his calling to be a disciple. And Peter is still the rock upon which Jesus was gonna build his church. Even after all that. So it wouldn't be long after this moment on the shore of the Sea of Galilee that Jesus would ascend into heaven and the disciples all go back to Jerusalem and they're waiting for this gift that the Lord told them to wait for. And this gift was the Holy Spirit. And you read in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit came down on these, on these disciples and they go out into the streets of Jerusalem and they start to preach and proclaim the good news about Jesus and whose sermon is the one that gets recorded in the book of Acts? It's Peter's sermon. So here you have Peter, in a short amount of time, has gone from denying that he ever knew Jesus to a small group of people, now to proclaiming the good news of Jesus and his resurrection to thousands of people. And 3,000 people on that day repented of their sins, and they were baptized, and the church was born. So yeah, Peter botched, but not his faith. He repented of his failure. He went out and he wept bitterly. And I would imagine right there, Lord, I'm so sorry, forgive me, I'm terrible. He repented of his failure and God was not done with him, not by a long shot. And I can tell you what Peter's story here models for us. It models the hope of repentance and forgiveness, the hope of reconciliation, the hope of growing and personal improvement, the hope of perseverance. And I hope that you see, just like I do, Peter in my story, Peter in your story, because he's not that far from any of us. So as we bring this series to a close, I'm just going to end with this question. Is failure fatal? It sure doesn't have to be. He who has an ear, let him hear. Let me pray for you. Lord, I just thank you for this example from Peter. I thank you, Lord, for all the examples we've studied about in your holy word and how it teaches and guides us. Lord, I thank you for this reminder that you're not done with any of us. And there is not a botch that any of us have ever done that can't be forgiven. There's not a break that can't ever be restored. That, Lord, we know that just from reading these redemption comeback stories that this is what you want to see, in fact. When we mess up, we repent, and we're restored. Lord, I thank you. In that whole process, you never once take your eyes off of us. You never once abandon us. You never once reject us. You never once kick us out of the nest. You never once are that way. But you're faithful, God. You love us through it all, and we're grateful. So Lord, I pray for anybody in our church today that is still wrestling down things in their past. Lord, I pray that that through the study of your word, 
the chains will begin to fall. And that, Lord, restoration of relationship will continue with you, knowing, Lord, that we stand under your grace and we're saved only because of your mercy. Lord, if there's any sin right now in our church that needs to be repented of, where we need to step outside the courtyard and weep bitterly before you, and I pray, God, that does happen. That, Lord, we need to confess our sins, and we know, Lord, you are faithful and just. And when we mess up, we, we release that back to you, Lord. And you pick us up, just like you saw with Peter. So, Lord, if there's any repentance that needs to take place, I pray that today, that'll be the day where we look to you and say, Lord, I'm so sorry for what I've done. Lord, all in all, I pray that you help us, that our faith will not fail. That, Lord, we will stay faithful to the end. And, Lord, our journey may be marred by some botches, but at the end, Lord, we will prove ourselves faithful. And you will look to us one day and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Lord, I am thankful that you never look at us and say, because you failed me once, you can never serve me again. Lord, I'm grateful. We're grateful that you don't say to us, because you botched, I've got no use for you. No, 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 Lord. Time and time again, you've shown us how valuable we are to you. And Lord, as long as we have air in our lungs, we have purpose for you and your kingdom. And so Lord, we just give you all praise today. We thank you for your love and grace and mercy. And help us, Lord, to forge ahead, to be the kind of people that are growing with you daily, walking with you, journeying with you, basking in your grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen.